Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Gods and Lies, Season 2, Episode 6. Clung to Andy as the world fell away from us and a million different worlds rushed in to take its place, budding and kneading and biting at us like hot electric fish in an endless school. My arms tightened around his neck as his arms encircled my waist, our legs kicking into nothingness in a terrifying cosmic parody of our dance at Celebina's masquerade. The moment stretched, snapped and my flailing feet finally smacked against solid ground. The crushing pressure of those other competing worlds receded. For a few seconds, it was all I could do just to breathe and focus on the sensation of Andy's cheek pressed into the top of my head. What the fuck was that? I asked. Andy answered without pulling away, his voice muffled. Orgamnos's seal of passage. How did you know how to use it? I guessed. You risked our escape from the Grimmers on a guess? It worked, didn't it? Andy said. Sorry about your car, though. I opened my eyes and looked around. My car was gone. The road was gone. We stood in a clearing in the middle of scrubby woodland. Over the tops of the trees, I could just make out a broken peak of a mountain. The air was crisp and clean, not so much as a whiff of car exhaust. We really were in the middle of nowhere. Where are we? I asked. I tilted my head. I heard the tinkling burble of rushing water nearby, like the sound of a spring. I turned to Andy, eyes wide. You don't think we're... Only one way to find out. Andy took my hand and headed into the trees, toward the sound of water. I dug in my heels. Are you insane? If that's the spring of Oblim, then its guardian has to be somewhere nearby. Good. Maybe it can answer a few questions, Andy replied. A retort wedged itself in my throat, but didn't make it further than that. Sure, we were going to question a supernatural guardian about a magical spring... 
a guardian who was as likely to squish us like ants as let us interrogate it. But in two days, we were dead anyway. At this point, why not? We walked for a few minutes in green, leafy silence before the trees parted and the ground tilted away from us into a steep-sided crater. This was where, according to legend, the Earth Mother's skull had struck the Earth. At the bottom of the crater, water gushed from a jagged fissure like blood from a wound. It glowed with a subtle, iridescent violet sheen. The same purple sheen of those forget-me-lots pills. A riot of varied greenery clogged the spring's banks. Some bushes were dead, others just budding as if in spring. One or two trees sprayed yellow and red foliage in true autumn glory, while others waved the glossy, fat leaves of summer. I suppose even plants had memories, and the waters of the spring kept them from remembering when they were supposed to bloom and when they were supposed to die. Themia, protect and guide us, I swore. We're really here. That's really the spring. But where's the guardian? And he cupped his hands over his mouth. Hey, look at all this nice, forgettable water around here. Yum, yum, oblivion. I stared at Andy. Yum, yum, oblivion? He shrugged. I'm running out of material. The ground shuddered and heaved beneath us, like a giant animal shaking off a pair of irritating insects. I threw out an arm and caught Andy, dragging him away from the crater's edge before he tumbled into the spring. The hill we'd previously been standing on shook itself, and the turf slid off its back like a shaggy blanket, revealing a glossy green and brown tortoise's shell. Four ponderous, thick legs emerged, but where the head of a tortoise should have been, the upper half of a muscular brown man crawled out, albeit a man several times larger than a human would be. His arms were thick with corded muscle, his hair clipped close to his scalp. He scowled down at the two of us. I extended my blessed oak into a quarterstaff and stepped in front of Andy before the guardian could squash him. Hail, holy guardian. I am Justix Thoro, priestess of Themia, huntress of justice. You are in restricted territory, the guardian announced. Display your seal immediately. Andy rooted around in his satchel and withdrew the golden shell. And the password? Andy froze. What password? The password! The Guardian's eyes narrowed and a rumble rose up from his throat. You cannot have the water without the password. We're not after the water, I said. The Guardian deflated his uncertain gaze switching from me to Andy as if fearing a trick. Wait. What? But that's why you're here. That's why everyone comes here. She's telling the truth, Andy said. We came to talk to you. To me? So this is a trick, then. To steal the water. The Guardian just looked so confused, I felt a little sorry for him. I held out a placating hand. We're here to find out who's really been stealing it, 
Get in line. The top brass have been riding my shell for months because of that. The Guardian harumphed with enough force to blow back the leaves in the trees. As if it's my fault. I know my job. I've had it for ten thousand years. I only fetch Oblim for the three mothers, the first generation of their descendants, proxies with the appropriate permission, and for the last six months, I only fetch it for those who know the password as well. It's not enough that you guard it, but you also have to fetch it? Andy asked. That's rough, man. I have to fetch it. I'm immune to the spring, the Guardian said. He reached back and patted the curve of his shell with one hand. You aren't. You let a single drop of oblim land on your skin, you'll forget the last ten minutes. Just touching the water's enough to induce the effects? You don't even have to drink it? Well, yeah, the Guardian replied. These waters are dangerous. I don't know why you folk keep trying to steal it. We're not here to steal it, I reminded him. The Guardian snorted. Has anyone come to collect the waters lately? Andy asked. Legally, I mean. Sure, but that knowledge is above your pay grade, the Guardian replied. He yawned. Look... I went over all this with the Son of the Tempest. Many, many times. I followed all the safeguards, obeyed all the rules. Everyone who took water from the spring had full authorization from either the Three Mothers or their direct children. Like Argamnos? I asked. The Guardian stiffened. Did he come to the spring? He checked out, he replied. Like I said, they all checked out. But he's not a first-generation god, Andy pointed out. He's a messenger. That's different. He had personal authorization. From whom? I asked. The Guardian scowled, and I understood. Above my pay grade. Got it. Beside me, Andy was no help too busy rooting around inside that bag of his. Meanwhile, the Guardian spread his four massive tortoise legs in a lazy defensive stance, shaking the dust off his shell. Now, if you're going to steal the water, could you just make your pathetic attempt already so I can kill you and get this over with? Andy pulled whatever he was looking for out of his bag with a barely contained squawk of excitement. Got it. He held a massive, turquoise peacock feather with a sapphire eye that glowed faintly. Where, Where in the, the hell did you, did you get, get that? that? The Guardian and I asked the question nearly simultaneously. From Orgamnos' room at the bower. Andy replied. He angled the quill in the Guardian's direction as if brandishing a saber. I'm going to make a guess. Whenever our Gamnos came to collect the waters of Oblem, he came with one of these, didn't he? To my surprise, the Guardian backed away from the feather, his torso sliding back into his shell defensively. 
Andy pressed forward. Celebina's sacred bird is the peacock. She hands out these feathers to identify servants acting on her behalf. When you say Argamnos had authorization to take the Oblim, is this what you meant? The Guardian started to shake like a small dog facing a rolled newspaper. Are you telling me Argamnos tricked me? That I've been giving him the water illegally this entire time? I thought I was doing my job. What are the three mothers going to think? I'd had enough. The Guardian was stubborn and clearly not too bright, but he hadn't done anything wrong. We won't tell the three mothers anything. We just want... The waters? Answers. We want answers. How many times did our Gamnos take water from the spring? The Guardian swallowed. I don't know. A lot. But he always carried Celebina's feather. The waters were for her, he said. Something about preserving the sacred mysteries of her revels. Celebina is one of the first daughters of the Earth Mother. I was only doing what I was told. They can't punish me for that. The Earth rumbled at the Guardian's cry, and I leapt back as a section of the ground beneath me crumbled, sliding down the crater into the spring. Whoa, buddy, said Andy, only now realizing the danger of antagonizing an immortal Guardian. We're cool. Everyone's cool. We won't tell anyone. You're right. You won't. The Guardian lowered his head and charged with incredible speed, knocking Andy off his feet. His bag went flying, spilling Argamnos' things, including Celebina's feather, the golden seal, and a bottle with an obsidian stopper. As the Guardian lumbered toward the prone Andy, one of his feet came down on the bottle, smashing it and spraying bright, purple-streaked liquid onto the grass. It shimmered in a growing puddle, the exact color of the spring's waters. You've got to be kidding me. Andy groaned, clutching his ribs. The Guardian roared, a concussive blast of sound that almost knocked me off my feet. I was right. You are stealing the water. He pawed the ground and charged again. I raced toward Andy, my blessed oak expanding in my hand. I vaulted over and past him, and brought my branch down hard with a thwack against the Guardian's face. The impact sent a vibration up my arm that I could feel in my teeth, and only instinct kept me from dropping it in agony. The Guardian stumbled, more in shock than in pain, but it gave me enough time to drag Andy out of his path. Unfortunately, that move put us between the Guardian and the edge of the crater. The Guardian grinned, sensing victory. Looks like you're going to get a taste of Oblim after all. He lowered his head. Stop. A voice thundered. A wall of hail clattered down in front of the Guardian, forcing him to halt. Just as quickly, the deluge ended and an armor-clad figure stepped into the clearing. He lifted up the visor of his helm, revealing a craggy, scarred face. These mortals are with me. Andy leaned against me, breathing heavily as he clutched his side. He groaned again, although this time only partly in pain. 
Seriously, Banrooks? Now you're just stalking me. Neatly sidestepping the puddle of Oblem, the son of the Tempest nodded at us. I prefer the term tracking, but I comprehend the sentiment. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. After Banrooks got the Guardian to back off, he moved us all to a nearby clearing, where I performed the reluctant introductions as I even more reluctantly allowed Banrooks to heal my wounds. Once my ribs had knitted together enough to allow me to breathe without pain... I sat up and said, I can't believe you were tracking me. And I can't believe you used an illegally obtained seal to defile the spring of Oblim. I didn't defile it. That's enough from both of you. Belatedly remembering that my stepbrother was also the god of the Tempest, Iris dropped her gaze and backpedaled a little. With respect, son of the Tempest. But it seems like we're all searching for the same thing. We should be helping each other. The three mothers decreed that I perform this task alone. How's that working out for you? I asked. You've been at this for a year and have nothing to show for it. A year is only a long time by mortal standards. Banrux's face was, as usual, impassive. But did I detect a thread of defensiveness in his voice? Yeah, well, we've only been at it for a few days and we already found actual evidence. If you have evidence, then you must share it. As if I'd ever. I felt a soft, tentative hand on my shoulder. Iris. Andy, I can't pretend to understand your family history, but we've got one sunrise left. I looked away. Gods, I was being an idiot. 
Iris was in the same boat I was. I couldn't afford to let my pride reject help we desperately needed. I got to my feet and faced Banrux directly. So, you already know someone in the Pantheon has been using the waters from the Spring of Oblum to make an easily consumable, extremely popular party drug. He nodded. Well, we just found out it was Argamnos himself. He had access to the spring through his status as a messenger and diverted suspicion by doing it on Celebina's behalf. And the drugs were sold exclusively through her temple. Does that mean she's his accomplice? Not... Iris and I spoke up at the same time. I couldn't help it. I grinned. It felt good to be on the same wavelength with her. I motioned for her to go first. Not necessarily, Iris said. Elbada lives in the Temple of Revels as well. She has centuries of experience crafting headache and hangover remedies, along with a fully stocked lab. If Argamnos was supplying the oblum, I think Elbada was the one who was making the pills. I also overheard something Diaphrede said in the Elder Bower, I added. She seemed to think Elbada and Argamnos were together. Whether she meant romantically or as business partners, I couldn't tell. That is certainly new information, Banrux said grudgingly. And there's something else. I walked over to where the Guardian had perfunctorily dumped our belongings before returning to the spring. Taking a handkerchief from my pocket, I carefully picked up the biggest shard from the smashed star glass bottle and brought it back to the group. The inside of the shard still shone with a faint purple light. This was part of a bottle I found hidden in a chest in Argamnos's rooms at the Elder Bower. I guess this explains what he used to smuggle Oblum back to Elbada, Iris said. She frowned. Except he didn't need to smuggle it. He was getting it legally from the Guardian using Celebina as a front. Exactly. I think this is our murder weapon, I said. Iris's eyebrows shot up, but she didn't gainsay me. Banrux grunted. Explain, he ordered. So, Argamnos was poisoned, right? No one disputes that. But how was he poisoned? Iris nodded, her gaze sliding inward as the puzzle took shape in her mind. It's natural to assume it was in his food or drink, but according to Amelia back at the Temple of Death, he would have had to ingest a lot of it very quickly. Right. So what if he didn't drink it? I handed the shard to Banrux. Would you recognize a bottle made of this material? Argamnos's lightning oil. He used to keep it in a star glass bottle. A splash of this, and he could traverse the world fifty times in the blink of a mortal's eye. Yeah, but when your guardian smashed this, lightning oil didn't come out. Oblum did. Iris's eyes flared wide as the puzzle came together in her head. Someone switched the contents of his bottle with Oblum. And when he poured it on himself, he absorbed it through his skin. Banrux's face twisted as he gazed down at the star glass shard in his hand. The sunlight in the clearing dimmed as dark oily clouds rolled in above us. A vile piece of trickery. Do we know when the switch could have happened? Iris asked. Could someone have switched out the bottle before the Golden Gala? Argamnos kept his lightning oil at his side at all times, Banrux said. They would have had to be remarkably deft to remove the bottle without him noticing. 
and crafty enough to quickly dispose of the lightning oil inside without blowing themselves up. It's incredibly volatile. An old memory popped, unbidden, into my head. Argamnos standing in my grand's garden, lightning oil dripping from his hair, grand's flowers bursting and sizzling like miniature fireworks. The botanical fireworks, I blurted. Both Iris and Banrux stared at me like I'd lost my mind. At the Golden Gala, remember Celebina's rundown of the night? At 12.30, she described the impromptu fireworks display that blew up her peace garden. She thought it was a stunt done to impress her, Iris said, remembering. But what if it wasn't a stunt? What if that was when our poisoner dumped out the lightning oil? But that was when... My heart thumped hard against my ribcage, barely allowing myself to believe it. Could it really be that easy? That happened during my fight with Argamnos. A hundred witnesses saw us. If I was fighting with Argamnos, I couldn't have been tampering with the lightning oil at the same time. I whooped and pulled Iris into a hug, spinning her around. That's the proof we needed! I'm innocent! We're safe! Banrux lifted his hand, putting a stop to our laughter. It's not enough. I slowed to a stop. Maybe I was still dizzy. Maybe I hadn't heard him correctly. What do you mean it's not enough? This is proof that I didn't poison Argamnos. I have an alibi. That's not how the right of old justice works. It predates humanity's novel ideas regarding reasonable doubt. You summoned the Grimmers. Now they need to feed. They're after a poisoner. If it's not you, you'll have to give them someone else. That's the only thing that will satisfy them at this point. I heard a buzzing somewhere in my head as I lowered Iris onto her feet. We were so close, so close, and yet... Gee, thanks, Banrox. Real helpful. Damn it, Iris whispered. Banrox shifted from foot to foot. His eyes, the only expressive part of his craggy, implacable face focused on some undefined point in the middle distance. I knew that look. Every time the Sea Mother had tasked him with telling me something he knew would upset me, he would get that look. But he'd already upset me, so what was this? Spit it out, Banrox. A cavernous sigh rumbled out of him, and his shoulders sagged. I suppose it's my turn to share what I know. I knew Argamnos had been stealing Oblim. I've known since before he was poisoned, and I'm probably the reason he was poisoned in the first place. My fist shot out. I didn't even think about it. It was just an instinctual reaction. Banrux caught it as easily as a softball. He probably considered it a kindness on his part, since I'm pretty sure I would have broken my hand if the punch had landed. It didn't stop me from trying to punch him with my other hand, too. Andy, no! Iris said. You set me up! You set this whole thing up! Iris threw herself onto my back and wrapped her arms around my neck, cutting off my air as I continued to windmill my arms pointlessly. Only when my vision started to darken and blur did I stagger back. I don't know why I'm surprised, I choked. You and Argamnos were total peas in a pod back in the day. <laughs> Argamnos said the exact same thing about me and you once, if you can believe it. Banrux laughed, a dry, creaky, unused sound like a shutter rattling in a high wind. 
I have my reasons, difficult as they may be for you to believe. Will you at least let me bring you back to Nexos in my chariot? It will be faster than walking, and I know time is of the essence. It was so tempting to refuse, but we were in the middle of nowhere. Didn't have much of a choice. Fine. Banrux clapped his hands, and a silver-chased chariot pulled by agile Hippocampi burst into the clearing. The vehicle unspooled and rewove itself around us, conjuring comfortable reclining seats and padded footrests. We barely felt the vibration when he whipped his steeds into motion. Iris slumped against the velvet seats and closed her eyes, sinking down deep. I remained standing. I didn't want to get too comfortable. Banrux kept his back to me as he steered his animals. I thought about punching him again, right in his fat, stubborn neck. But I knew I would not only break my hand, but crash the chariot as well. Maybe this was why he finally decided to talk, now that he had a captive audience. Argamnos and me, we had a deal. Of course you did, I said. I found out Argamnos was involved in the Oblum thefts. Not through any skill on my part. He was sloppy, arrogant. He truly didn't know how dangerous a game he was playing. I ran into him at the Spring of Oblum one too many times whenever I went there to interrogate the Guardian. So I put two and two together. Why didn't you just bring him in? I asked. The Three Mothers knew this wasn't a one-god operation. They wanted to send a message to discourage anyone else from interfering with the spring, and for that, they needed all the conspirators, or at least enough of them to set an especially memorable example. When I caught him, I offered Argamnos immunity if he turned on his accomplices. He agreed, if I promised to extend that immunity to one other person. Who? I never found out. He was supposed to meet me after the Golden Gala to turn over the names. You know the rest. At the start of this whole thing, I'd suspected Argamnos was a snitch. Then we'd figured he was the supplier. As it turned out, he was both. What an obnoxious overachiever. After Argamnos was poisoned, the drugs disappeared, the dealers erased themselves, and the conspirators went into hiding. The three mothers gave me a task, and I failed. I didn't say anything. I glanced over at Iris, dozing fitfully in her seat, her face pale and drawn. I failed you as well, Banrux said. His voice sounded like jagged metal scraping over stone. I'm sorry about the right of old justice. I'm sorry I drove you to that. I didn't mean to. I don't understand mortals very well, but then, I don't understand most of the gods of the Pantheon either. Being born from a tempest made Banrux unique among gods. In a Pantheon where lineage is everything, no one knew how to deal with him. I never realized how lonely a position that must be. It explained his willingness to bond with me when I'd first arrived in the Sea Mother's Court, a frightened, sulky twelve-year-old demigod with no place in either world. It also explained his attempts to befriend Argamnos, another god whose unusual parentage set him apart. I'd never thought of how much Argamnos and I had in common. In another life, could we have been friends? 
It wasn't your fault, I said. The words felt heavy, like I had to haul them up from a deep well. Invoking the right was my mistake, not yours. Thanks for saving us back there. We'll be back in Nexos soon. What should we do then? Banrux asked. We, he said. Give me a moment with my... Associate, I said. And then I'll get back to you. I sat down beside Iris, lying curled up in the seat. You up? Her eyelids fluttered, just resting my eyes. I'm sorry about all this. She smiled wearily without opening her eyes. I forgive you, and this doesn't change anything. Maybe there's a bit of grimmer in me. It's not enough for me to prove you're innocent. I want to find out who really did it. Do you think we can? I think we're close. I looked at her surprised. She seemed sincere. You mean that? After everything? I do. Before I could even think of a way to reply to that, she slid over to me on the cushions and kissed me. It was sweet, swift, over before I knew it, like a pleasant dream. Then she reached into my satchel and pulled out the peacock feather. Because I have an idea, and it's a very stupid one. She turned to Banrux. Can you drop us off at the Temple of Revels? Celebina's feather worked like an all-access pass. It got us past the gates. Security melted before us. We made it past the ballroom, which was already undergoing extensive renovations for the goddess's next big event, and all the way up to Celebina's inner shrine before a smooth gray figure slid in front of us, her silver robes rustling. I see you have my mother's sacred feather, Elbada said coolly. How unfortunate. The Pantheon doesn't take theft against their kind lightly. We'll be having that back, Father Liam said, panting. It looks like he'd had to run to keep up with his goddess. I don't think you're going to do that, I said. Your overconfidence continues to be your least desirable trait, Elbada said. But before she could do much more than that, I whipped a pair of glow sticks out of my pocket and cracked them over my knee to activate them. I tossed one to Iris, who caught it neatly out of the air, while I drew my phone out of my pocket and pulled up the latest single from the god of music's favorite performer. Then we started to dance. What in the hells are you doing? What does it look like? Iris said. She started waving her arms in the air, her oak in one hand, the glow stick in the other, wriggling like a beetle crawled into her underpants. She wasn't graceful. She wasn't coordinated. And yet... She was the most adorable dancer I'd ever seen. We're having a party! She raised her voice with that final word. And before the echoes finished rebounding off the polished marbled walls, a half-dozen rebel priests heeded her siren song, bowling Father Liam over, whooping and throwing their robes over their heads to, naturally, reveal party outfits underneath. Stop this at once! You all have tasks to do! You need to disperse! Elbada roared. But although she organized the Temple of Revels, she was not its goddess. She could only command Celebina's priesthood so far. She expanded herself upward, growing in size and fury. But by that point, one rebel priest was already pouring shots of rose-colored liquor from a hip flask, and another started spinning retro punk beats out of her tablet. 
the doors to the shrine flew open, and Celebina stomped out in a pink chiffon maxi dress. Her face curved into an expression of playful frustration. Who threw a party and didn't invite me? The now sizable crowd cheered, and Albada shriveled back down to human size. Here, I said, we brought you a gift. I love gifts, Celebina boomed. Her joyful expression clouded over in confusion as I placed the feather into her hands. I'm not completely against re-gifting, darling, but this belongs to me. Where did you get it? You should ask your daughter, I said. What is the demigod talking about, Elbada? Elbada shrank even further. She glanced at her high priest as if for advice, before folding her hands into her sleeves, defeated. I guess as the mortals say, the jig is up. You're listening to Gods and Lies Season 2 by Elizabeth Fail, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. So you've heard of Florida Man, but what about Florida Chupacabra? That's right, the urban legend is real and lurking in the Everglades in the new horror comedy show from Realm, Low Life. Low Life follows a chupacabra exterminator in South Florida who becomes unlikely allies with a marine biology student when a standard house call goes horribly wrong. It looks like there's a new monster in their midst, but there's more than one secret hiding in the swamp. Low Life is a funny, twisty mystery that also has some pretty scathing commentary on corporate elitism and eco-fascism. So you're in for a wild ride and some razor-toothed chupacabras. Listen and subscribe to Low Life wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at realm.fm. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.